the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we join senior Pastor Will Ramirez in a study of the book of Numbers. God wanted to bring the children of Israel from the desert to the land promised to their forefathers. The Israelites had witnessed God's mighty hand to save, but they still chose to complain and doubt God's goodness and His ability to keep His promises. God sent judgment because of their unrepentant, disbelieving hearts. We will see that even Moses' own siblings began to question his leadership as we join Pastor Will in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. Before it shows us what God's response is, verse 3 makes a very interesting remark, and it's from Moses. He wrote this. It says, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. (laughs) If you don't believe the Bible is inspired, then that comment does it right there. Because nobody in their right mind trying to make themselves look good is ever going to say that. Because the natural reaction of every human being, it goes, oh, someone thinks a little highly of themselves. I mean, you know, you look at this and no one would, you know, you would write it about yourself, but you would do it in a different way. You would show it. You would say, and Moses said, I shall consider thine complaint, you know? I mean, you know, he he would have put, put himself in this positive light, but the Think about the Bible. The Bible never puts its own heroes in the most positive light. It shows its heroes' failures. It shows their shortcomings. You know, there are things that are written that imagine when people get to heaven and then people walk up and they go, man, you know, you know, you know, Samson or Saul, your story just to encourage me to be obedient to the Lord because I saw what happens when you're disobedient. Thank you? What do you get from that? I mean, there are some people have some very embarrassing stories here recorded for us. And yet it's the Bible's heroes. So Moses, he writes this, and he says that he was very meek above all the men that were on the earth. Calling yourself the meekest man on all the earth usually implies an inflated ego, that you are not the meekest man on all the earth. But remember two things. One, this is inspired. That means the statement is likely true and not just stating that Moses thought that way about himself. But secondly, plenty of factors in this chapter prove it's true. But I love it here. It says, now the man Moses he reminds us before he tells us about this character trait that he had, that he's just a man. And what kind of man was Moses? This is the same guy who wrote the story of his beginning where he murdered a man, right? Where he tried to cover it up, where he he tried to lead the people and it was a false start. It wasn't God's timing. A man who messed up so badly and he was so scared because of that, that he fled into the wilderness and he dropped the whole call of God for 40 years. He starts off by reminding us of that. Now the man, Moses. This is the same man in Exodus 3 and 4 said, Lord, I can't do it. This is the same man who who objected to God's call because I'm not a good leader. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not a good speaker. And you know what, God, I don't want the job. Moses, the man. See, Moses was a proud man in the past, but he'd been broken. He knew he was just a man. 
Essentially, that's what meek means. The word meek, it means humble, sincere and straightforward, lacking arrogance and pride. And that's all God wants in a leader, by the way. You know, someone who would trust him instead of themselves. God help us to lead like Moses instead of like Miriam here. Now, I believe this verse exists here to show us that Moses' reaction wasn't anger. He didn't defend himself in any way. We see no defense of himself. And what's cool is, is when you don't defend yourself, God can, verse four. And the Lord spoke suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto Miriam. Maybe she had more complaints. Maybe she had a list. Okay, number three. Before she got to number three, if she had it, the Lord interrupts. The Lord suddenly, quickly, he burst onto the scene and he spoke unto Moses and Aaron and Miriam. And he says, come out you three into the tabernacle of the congregation. He says, y'all are having some private conversation. I'm gonna make it public. You're gonna come bring it out to me in the tabernacle of the congregation. And so it says, and they three came out. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle. And he called from there, Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. So they all go out to the tabernacle of the congregation. Moses there, Miriam, and Aaron. And the Lord descends in the cloud there. And the Lord says, Aaron, Miriam, a little closer. <laughs> Moses, you can stay right where you are, but you too come closer. Moses would be used to God's presence. Aaron would have experienced it in those seven days when he was in the tabernacle before everything got started with the worship there because he had to spend time with the Lord in his presence there. But this would be a whole brand new experience for Miriam and quite terrifying, especially when he calls her and Aaron to come closer. And so in verse six, here's how God instructs Miriam and Aaron on Moses's role. And he said, hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. God starts off by explaining to Aaron and Miriam how he normally speaks to prophets. I love it here where the Lord doesn't say, here now my discipline or here now I'm mad at you, you know. He says, here now my instruction. Miriam's going to be disciplined. We're going to see that in a moment. But it's a teaching moment first. And I love that because the Lord isn't here to destroy. He's here to help. So he explains to them that there is a difference between how he's used Moses and how he had used them in the past. He says, if there's a prophet among you, he goes, this is how I speak to them. I will make myself known unto them in a vision or I'll speak unto him in a dream. He says, you guys think you're like Moses? No, you're not. Let me explain something to you. I spoke to you through a vision or through a dream. I did not meet with you like I did with Moses. Now in verse seven and eight, he shows how he spoke to Moses. My servant Moses is not so though. He's not like everybody else I talked to. Why? Who is faithful in all mine house. With him, I will speak mouth to mouth, even apparently and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Now again, he makes a clear difference. Regular prophet, he says, I did use you guys. You're right, I used you. But I I gave you a vision or a dream. But Moses, not so. And he says, he's been faithful. He's been trustworthy, loyal, reliable with all of my people, with all my family. You know, these are my people, you know. And, and, And he has been faithful and reliable and trustworthy with all of them. That is not a role I entrusted to you. That's important. You know, the Bible says that that when we're faithful in little things, God makes us faithful over greater things. You know, you can't say, well, I want to be here. You know, I, I tell this to people all the time. They say, God, God's given me a call to, 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 to preach the word. And I'm like, well, do you preach to your family? You know, I mean, you know, do you share the word with them? Do you share in the workplace? You know, you know well, God's called me to, to, to ministry. Okay, well, the very word ministry means service. So do you serve now? You know, 
I mean, I, someone, you know, just walked by and picked up trash that has been standing right in front of you the entire time you've been telling me you want to serve. Why didn't you see it and pick it up? That would be a, heart, a servant's heart would see it and pick it up. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? You know, he says he's been faithful with everything. That's why I put him here. And he says, I will speak to him mouth to mouth. And he explains what that means, even apparently or with a visual appearance, not in a dream or a vision. God is not something supernatural that happens to speak to Moses. He says, I just come and I speak to him. I, my presence is there and I just speak to him right where he's at. I don't need him to fall asleep. I don't need to take him to a different place in a vision. I just speak to him right where he's at. I don't speak to him, he says, in dark speeches. And the word there just means hidden things or allegories or words that are hard to understand. You know, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11 says that the Old Testament prophets, that when they would receive a word from the Lord to share with the people, a lot of times, you know, they would, of course they wrote it down and they would read it to the people, but then they would take it and go study it because they had no clue what it meant. <laughs> they would go and go and they would say, I don't get this, Lord, the Messiah, he's going to reign, but he's also going to suffer. How does this work out? They didn't fully understand even what they preached. He says, I don't do that with Moses. I'm crystal clear with him. He understands everything. I don't hide anything from him. You know, he says, and for him, the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. He saw my glory. Have you seen my glory, Aaron? Have you seen my glory, Miriam? No, they hadn't. God's words here elevate Moses above every prophet that's ever lived. And see, that's why God said the Messiah would be a prophet like Moses because Jesus is different than any other man that lived. He is God as well. He is the God man, God incarnate, come to live amongst us and to show us exactly what God is like, different than every other messenger that God had sent. Moses could have defended himself. He could have turned to them and be like, what, really? You're gonna get on my wife because of her skin tone? You are wicked. Isn't it better when God stands up for you though? Isn't it way better when God defends you? Isn't it way better when the Lord takes up the fight for you? See, fighting back only fuels someone's flames. That's why the Bible calls us to be peacemakers, not troublemakers. Now, having explained this truth to them, God gets to the heart of their problem. The end of verse 80 says, wherefore, and there's my, my point. I've explained to you, I've had, this is a teaching moment, but now he, he's gonna confront them. Wherefore, or why, why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? You knew this. You knew I had not met with you like I met with him. Why were you trying to equalize this out? Why were you jealous of the position that he has? And why did you think it was okay to critique him for these things? You know, the word here, afraid, can mean fear, but usually in the Old Testament, it means respect or reverence. They didn't respect the Lord and they didn't respect Moses' leadership. And he says, why were you not afraid to speak against my servant, Moses? This was the real heart issue. They'd forgotten that Moses never makes the decisions. God makes the decisions. It was simply Moses who passed them on. Their source of their jealousy was actually a lack of reverence for God. And this is what needed the change in their heart. This was the area that needed repentance. And I would ask you this morning, you know, do you struggle with a critical attitude towards leaders in your work environment or church environment, or maybe your spouse or your parents? Do you struggle with a critical attitude toward them? Are you quick to have roast pastor for Sunday lunch? I've heard it's very tasty. Before I was a pastor, I saw how church splits, wounded church leaders, how harsh critiques, and so even if I maybe disagreed with what my pastor was doing or what a leader had done, I wasn't gonna verbalize that to anybody else. If I had a big enough problem with it, I would go to them. If it wasn't a big enough problem, I just took it to the Lord and asked him to work on it. I didn't need to bring it to anybody else. 
But if you struggle with that critical attitude, it might be time to ask God to show you if you've lost not some reverence for those leaders, but for him. It's interesting because the Lord asks the question and then he leaves it there. And Miriam and Aaron do not respond with repentance. So God becomes upset, verse nine. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them and he departed, he left, left them right there. And the cloud departed from off the tabernacle and behold, what did they see when he left? Miriam had become leprous, white as snow. And Miriam, Aaron looked upon Miriam and behold, she was leprous. Moses puts that there because the Lord's gonna heal Miriam. No one else saw this. Moses puts this here to show us evidence. It's not just Miriam's claim that she was leprous, but Aaron saw it too. It was fact. There was a witness to it. So Moses saw it, Aaron saw it, Miriam claimed it happened. It says the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. Again, there's a semicolon there, which means a pause. God is still waiting for a response from them. He's still waiting for them to repent, but there is none. And so he says, fine, you're gonna be stubborn. He leaves and he disciplines Miriam before he goes. Now, how did it start off? He taught them, right? He explained to them the difference between their ministry and Moses' ministry. They needed to stop being jealous and he confronts them with their lack of respect for him, not Moses, but him in their critique. They don't repent. He becomes angry. They still don't repent. And the Lord says, fine, now I have to discipline you. And so he strikes Miriam with leprosy. I'm pretty stubborn. (laughs) But it takes some serious stubbornness to stand in the very presence of God and not repent. And yet, we'll see an even worse stubbornness in the last days, the Bible says, when men will shake their fist at God and blaspheme him, even as he's judging them. Let's not be like that. Let's be like Aaron, who look at how he finally responds in verse 11. And Aaron said unto Moses, Alas, my Lord, I beseech you, lay not the sin upon us, wherein we have done foolishly and wherein we have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, of whom the flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. Please, Moses, please pray for her healing. Aaron's repentance here is spot on. This is truly repentance. He says two things. We have done foolishly, And we have sinned. Foolishly means to have a lack of understanding about something. Aaron says, we spoke about something we had no clue about. We spoke rashly. We spoke foolishly. We did not understand everything that was going on. It was wrong for us to do that. Can I say to you, when your boss makes a decision or your church makes a decision sometimes, you may not have all the facts. You might look at something and go, why did they do that? That seems harsh or that doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right. You may not have all the facts. Try to give them the benefit of the doubt before you go into a tirade and say, well, I would have never done that if I was the boss. Because being on the other side, I've been both a manager of people in the workplace. And of course, I've pastored a church for 22 years or 23 years now. That is rough. That is something that if you're gonna take on that responsibility, there are hard decisions that have to be made sometimes and none of them are entered into lightly because you know you can very easily hurt a lot of people by your decisions. So number one, we spoke foolishly. And then number two, we have sinned. He owns it. He says, this is our fault. We did wrong. Aaron makes two confessions equally important. We spoke about things we didn't fully understand as if we did. And what we did to you, Moses, was wrong. And this is a great model for confession. Lord, I have been a fool. I acted like I knew what was going on when I really didn't. I thought I could handle something that I clearly couldn't. And my behavior ended up being horribly wrong. Will you please forgive me for my wrong attitude and my wrong actions? I don't want to live that way anymore. That's, that is a model prayer for repentance, a model prayer for someone who's changing their heart, changing their mind. You know, and Aaron shows that he's repented by calling Moses my Lord. In other words, God's view of Moses instead of their very casual view of Moses. And he proves it by his request. Let her, 
Aaron isn't thinking about himself anymore in his position. He's thinking about his sister and he's not too proud to turn to the man he just criticized for help. He's showing that he's humbled himself and his thinking has totally changed. And you have to remember, where is he? He's at the tabernacle. It's not like he can't go, God, please, I'm so sorry. Will you please forgive us and will you heal my sister? God's right there. He could have done it, but he doesn't. He goes to his brother to show he's had a change of heart. God, I respect the order you've set up. I respect the fact that you made this guy, you know, our leader spiritually, and, and, and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go your, your way. He does it right. Now, the only question is, will Moses be like, oh, really, buddy? <laughs> or will Moses forgive him? Verse 13. And Moses cried unto the Lord saying, I love this. Heal her when? Next week, Lord, because I really need her to learn her lesson. No. Heal her in an hour, Lord, because, you know, I just kind of want to enjoy this moment. Heal her now. Heal her now, oh God. I beseech you, which is please, please, God, heal her now. Moses is immediately concerned for her well-being and asks God to heal her now with an emphatic please. You know, being a parent or a boss or a church leader, it requires lots of forgiveness. If you don't want to forgive people, then please don't get married. Please don't have kids. Please don't become a leader. You know, please don't do that because you're going to get hurt. You're going to be misunderstood. Sometimes people won't repent. You know, I think the words of our captain are an example for every leader. When he said to those who were crucifying him, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. It's a good example, don't you think? We still don't have any indication that Miriam is repentant. In fact, the only other mentions of Miriam in the law are her death and a reminder in Deuteronomy about what God did to her here. So does that mean she never repented? No, we can't know for sure until we see her in heaven. But God's response seems to indicate she's still being stubborn at this point. Look at verse 14. Moses prays, Lord, please heal her right now. And the Lord said unto Moses, if her father had but spit in her face, should she not be ashamed seven days? Let her be shut out from the camp seven days. And after that, let her be received in again. So Miriam was shut out from the camp for seven days and the people did not journey till Miriam was brought in again. And afterward, the people removed from Hazaroth and pitched in the wilderness of Paran. Now, this is kind of a weird thing here because we don't do this in our culture. Spitting on someone was a form of public rebuke in the Middle East. Still today, today is one of the most insulting things you can do is spit on someone. And they don't just go, you know, they really lube it up and get it going and then they hawk it on you. That's how they do it. And it is a, probably the highest offense that you can perform upon someone in Middle Eastern culture. If a father had done this to his son or his daughter, it was because they had disrespected the family so badly. When he would take that course of action, everyone around would go, oh my, what just happened? And that son or that daughter would be banned from the home for seven days. You and I could call it a severe timeout. During this time, the child was to contemplate the seriousness of their behavior without a roof over their head and, you know, having to scramble for food so that they'd return home with a different attitude. The Lord is referring to that 
cultural practice. He's not saying he approves of it. He's just referring to that cultural practice back then. Even though God is going to heal her and answer Moses' prayer, she still needs to deal with her wrong attitude and behavior. And so he gives her seven days to do it. He treats her as any leprous woman would have been treated. Any leprous woman would have been put outside the camp. And then seven days later, she would be inspected by the high priest. And if she was cured, she would go through the ritual process of being cleansed and she would come back into the camp. He's not singling her out. He's not treating her differently. He's treating her just like he would treat any other person who had leprosy. And the idea here is, is that he's trying to get her to a place where she'll be able to reflect on her sin. And she can come with a renewed attitude of wanting to walk with the Lord. And so he gives her seven days to think about it. I have time where I tell that to my kids. I say, listen, your behavior is so off right now and I'm trying to correct it, but your attitude towards my correction is so off right now too. We're not making any progress. I need you to go sit down over here and be quiet for a while. I want you to think about where you're at in your attitude right now. I will come back in 10 minutes or 15 minutes or 30 minutes if it's really bad. And then we will talk when you have thought about it. Now, most of the time you sit down with me and go, now, do you think what you did was okay? No, daddy. Why wasn't it okay? And then we can have a good conversation about it. That's what the Lord's looking for here with Miriam. She needs to repent, and it seems like she's still being stubborn. But I also think there's a lesson here too, and it's this. Because notice it says that during the time she's shut out of the camp, where's Israel going? Nowhere. They're slowed down and stopped for seven days until she can come back into the camp. There's a good part about this because the Lord doesn't say, you guys go on and Miriam gets to stay behind. There's no shame associated with it. But at the same time, her sin holds everyone back. What's the lesson there? Instead of getting themselves ahead, which was, I guess, Aaron and Miriam's plan to elevate themselves, their sin not only set themselves back, but Israel back for seven days. And I think the lesson there is that sin always sets us back. Don't listen to Satan's lies that you'll get ahead by lying or cheating or whatever it might be. That's never going to get you ahead. It will always set you back, even if it short-term gets you ahead. But it also has another lesson. My sin sets others around me back. Sin is never solely personal in its impact. It always impacts others, even if you can't see it. Brings us to the end of chapter 12. Three stops, three problems, but they're finally at the destination that was mentioned in chapter 10, verse 12, the wilderness of Paran. And so that means there's only one more stop before they get to the promised land. How will that go? We've got to come back next study in Numbers. What's the lesson of Miriam? Well, before I mention that, I think this is a great example of how to do discipline from God. If you're a parent here today, don't look at your child's sin as a frustrating thing. Look at it as a teaching opportunity. It doesn't say the Lord came in a whirlwind and thunder and lightning and everything. No, he just came suddenly and said, you three in here. And they got before him, so you two come to me. And then he taught them, he instructed them. Don't look at it as a frustrating thing. Look at it as a teaching opportunity. Make sure you give them God's words. It says that he Hear now my words. Make sure you give them God's words. Don't just tell them, I'm disappointed with you about how you behave. No, tell them, hey, we're here to talk about this because God's word says this and you did this. So those are out of alignment. We need to talk about that, you know? Thirdly, teach them face-to-face what the Bible says regarding their behavior, all right? Don't try to teach them a lesson by giving them the silent treatment, you know? You know, what's wrong, mom? I'm just not talking to you right now. I will tell you right now, nine out of 10 times, they won't get it. And they're not gonna necessarily change their behavior from that. Speak to them face to face and talk to them about their behavior, you know? And then fourthly, ask them why they thought it was okay to behave that way. In other words, get to the heart of the problem. The truth is their behavior is not the problem. The problem is there's something wrong inside here where they thought the behavior would be okay. Why did you poke your sister in the eye? You know, I don't know. Well, 
you need to think before you act. You know, you need to think to yourself, hey, if I poke my sister in the eye, how will that, you know, affect her? <laughs> Positively or negatively, you know? And, you know, they give you a blank stare. You're not loving your sister when you don't consider how her feelings might be when you do something to her. That's not your body, it's hers. Could you please stop poking it? And then explain how to correct that wrong attitude. Show them how to repent. Pray with them as they do so. And then, if necessary, discipline them. Good example, right? We're all good parents now. So what's the lesson from here? Deuteronomy 24, verses 8 and 9. God's reminding the next generation as they're about to go into the promised land about all his laws, and he reminds them of the law of leprosy. Take heed in the plague of leprosy that you observe diligently and do according to all the priests the Levites shall teach you. As I commanded them, so shall you observe to do. And here it is. Remember what the Lord your God did unto Miriam, by the way, after that you were come out of Egypt. God doesn't want us to forget the danger of jealousy and pride that leads to a critical attitude. If you see it in someone else, gently challenge them to ask God search their heart. And if someone else points it out in you, don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. Before you speak, ask if you're doing so in obedience to Ephesians 4.29, which says, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but do all things to the edifying of the hearers. Amen? Someone who's wanted to be a genuine help and not just critical can always do so in a way that still strengthens the one you're critiquing. Make sure your hearts are there. Let's all stand. Lord, we live in wicked times, but we don't have to be wicked. We can walk in love to all men and we can call wrong, wrong always. And so Lord, we wanna do that. We don't want to shy back because we're afraid or we don't wanna shy back from speaking what is right and good and standing up for love, Lord. We don't wanna do that because we're afraid of how people might view us. Lord, we wanna be light shining in a dark world. And so as our world crumbles around us, Lord, we commit our hearts to you right now to be different, to be like you, not to side with sides, but to be like you. So Lord, will you fill us with your spirit so we can do so? We give our lives to you now to learn this lesson from Miriam. Lord, to not be prideful and jealous, Lord, but to be gracious to all men especially those who are of the household of faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God puts different people in places of leadership in the church, community, and government. We are called to submit to our leaders as submitting unto the Lord. We may not see eye to eye on how they lead, but we are called to respect them. We are called to honor our leaders, and above all, we are to love leaders. Even if they are wrong, it is our job to pray for them and show them the truth in love, just as Christ, our example, did when he was on the earth. If you have any spiritual or physical need, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.